0: Our first scripture reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 to 22. Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 to 22. Verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heaven, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. Circumcise then your heart and stiffen your neck no more, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and the awesome God. He does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise and he is your God, who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons in all and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven would you then turn please to 1 John chapter 2 1 John 2 verses 1 to 6 the text for the sermon is verses 3 to 6 <clears throat> beginning of chapter 2 my little children I'm writing, they're writing these things to you that you may not sin and if anyone sins we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the Righteous and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now a text, from verses 3 to 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would keep us from leaning on our own understanding, our own knowledge, our own wisdom, in order to comprehend your word. Rather, we ask for your help, Lord. We ask for the illuminating grace of your spirit to open our minds, to grant us understanding, and to cause us to grow in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, uh, there are a number of different ways and uh, reasons also for which another person may be imitated. Sometimes the imitation of another person uh, takes place at a kind of subconscious level. For example, uh, children growing up in a home or hanging around with their friends may subconsciously take on various ways of speaking or acting that they pick up from their family or that they pick up from their friends. In other cases, it may be done in a more self-conscious way, Uh, sometimes with mocking as well, imitating another person in order to mock them. Uh, Think, for example, of the way comedians might uh, imitate a, a Trump or a Biden or some other politician in order to ridicule them. But at other times... And this is the best type of imitation. At other times, there is a deliberate effort to follow the example of someone to whom we really look up. And it is in that last category that I want to put the imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, a subject that has been written about uh, to a very, very great extent down through the ages. Perhaps most uh, famously in the 15th century, the Dutch-German Thomas Akempis wrote his book The Imitation of Christ, an extremely popular book. And his view of the imitation of Christ was, as you might expect, a very Roman Catholic view, focused on imitating Christ by devotion to the sacrament and imitation to Christ by means of turning away from the world, almost a kind of world flight idea, withdrawal from the world. And even he even emphasised being devoted to Christ, imitating Christ by turning away from theological disputes. And there were other ways in the Middle Ages that the imitation of Christ was focused on. Uh, Think, for example, of the European passion plays where uh, people even volunteered to be crucified because they wanted to imitate Christ or the stigmata people who claimed that they had the wounds of Christ on the cross appearing in their hands and feet and side and so forth well we may see the weaknesses involved in that kind of imitation of Christ so called but it is important that we don't neglect the proper kind of imitation of Christ now Christ, of course Christ is not just our example. He is far more than just an example. Nevertheless, we are called to the imitation of him. Uh, That comes out perhaps uh, in the most black and white terms in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 where the Apostle Paul writes, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And then in our text, perhaps the clearest point of it, Walk in the same manner as he walked. Three points as we look at that. First of all, walking the wrong way. Secondly, walking his way. And thirdly, doing so as an effect, not a cause. So walking the wrong way, and then as opposed to that, walking Christ's way, but seeing that as an effect rather than a cause. In the first place then John is dealing here with people who claim to be Christians. People who claim to know Christ. But he points out that there is a difference between those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ and those who are making a false claim. And he uses very, very strong language of those who are making a false claim. He calls them liars. I have actually met uh, a few people in my life that who were actually very self-consciously and deliberately making a false claim. They knew that they were liars. They knew that they were pretend Christians. And they would even tell other people. But then when they're in Christian company at large, for some reason or other, they would still pretend to be Christians themselves. But perhaps the vast majority of these cases are people who are in the first place lying to themselves. And that is the sense in which they are liars, first and foremost. So one of the tests that John puts forward about this is whether or not we are keeping God's commandments. If someone claims to be a Christian, but the language implies he is habitually not keeping the commandments. Uh, We all fail to keep the commandments. None of us keep the commandments as we should. But John is talking about the person whose habit of life is not to keep the commandments of God at all. There may be a show of doing so. There may be a sense in which formally the commandments are kept in a very outward way, but not truly. And that person, says John, is the liar. The truth is not in him. The evidence that he does not truly know Christ is that he is not seeking to imitate Christ. He is not seeking to follow Christ's teachings about the Ten Commandments, for example, about God's law. And he is not seeking to follow Christ's example in walking in his Father's way, his Father's will. This is something, and you may have noticed it, you may have noticed the connection between um, Deuteronomy 10, as I read that, and the text, this is something that comes out through the whole Bible. Uh, We've just been reading at home in uh, 1 and 2 Kings, and one of the things that struck me is that virtually every king that is mentioned there in both Israel and Judah, in virtually every one of these cases, there's a couple of little phrases that keep recurring, And they bring out this sharp contrast between the godly kings and the wicked kings. And of the godly ones, it says, they walked in the way of their godly fathers. They walked in the way of their father David. And David, of course, uh, sought to walk in God's ways. And on top of that, he pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Although David was himself a sinner and flawed. Whereas with the wicked kings, they are said in virtually every case to walk in the way of their wicked fathers, and most notably Jeroboam. And this is said uh, again and again, not to walk in God's ways, but in the ways of other wicked kings. Now, of course, surprisingly, it may have been a to me in some ways, uh, a, that a good king sometimes produced a very, very wicked son. And sometimes a wicked king produced a Hezekiah or a Josiah. And you might say to yourself, how could a father like that produce a son like that? Well, these things do happen in human families. But in God's family, those who truly know the Father and who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ... Where the word no means have a close relationship with. It doesn't just mean no certain facts about, it means to have a close relationship with the Lord, in those cases, then that will be reflected. That true relationship will be reflected, um, it will reflect rather the father's character and it will reflect also the character of the son. While the liars and the hypocrites will at best only give a poor imitation a surface imitation rather than one from the heart an imitation of which the Lord Jesus Christ will say as it were on the last day I don't recognise myself in your imitation your so called imitation of me I don't recognise it I don't know you and you don't know me depart Lord Jesus taught that himself Those who truly know Christ then will be found to have been walking in his ways the right way. A second point. Now on the surface this might sound a little bit legalistic to you. How can you be sure that you really know God? How can you be sure you're not fooling yourself? Well, by your obedience to the commandments, to rules. Does that perhaps sound a little legalistic to some of us? Well, in answer to that, I want to point out that our text is part of a longer section in 1 John that gives not one, but three tests by which our relationship to the Lord may be may be recognised. And obedience to the commandments is only one of those tests. The other two tests, and I may, if I have opportunity, preach on that those three tests at a later time, but... Uh, The other two are love and truth. And in regard of truth we may express that by true doctrine. And those other two those other two tests show us that it's not just a matter of obedience to rules. There is much much more to it than that. Moreover John himself broadens his definition of obedience to include not just the commandments, but all of God's word. If we keep his commandments, it's paralleled by that other phrase here, whoever keeps his word. Keeping his word then is a combination of things. It is a combination of believing the truth. That's the test that will come later. True doctrine. It is also a matter of trusting the promises because that's a big part of God's word the covenant promises and it is also a case as we see here of obeying the commandments but then when you think about it this all ties together in a great circle in a way because the commandments themselves include the commandment to love and to fear God uh, Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, there's commandments again, and love him, there's the love that John will pick up on and is picking up on here, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, not to be just a surface imitation, but with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and statutes. So all of this together is evidence of a true personal knowledge, in other words, a close relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we keep all of these aspects of God's word together, then we can see some of the weaknesses in a campus's imitation. Following the Lord Jesus Christ is not just a negative shunning of the world, a flight from, withdrawal from the world it does include a refusal to take on worldly priorities it does include a refusal to put our enjoyment of things that may be good in themselves uh, to put them on too high a priority so that we become immersed in those things and forget our other duties to the Lord, it includes that it includes a turning away from all that is evil in the world yes it includes all of that resisting the devil and resisting sin but it also has a very positive side a positive seeking with the Lord's help to be as much like the Lord Jesus Christ as we possibly can in this life for example in displaying the fruits of the spirit the love I've already mentioned that John will mention that in more detail joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control Where do we find those things more perfectly embodied than in the Lord Jesus Christ? So if we are seeking to walk in his manner, we ought to be seeking to walk with his help in those very fruits. Not just running away from the things of the world. But of course it's not only that, the Lord Jesus Christ also trusted all the promises of his Father. How could he have gone to the cross if he didn't trust in that? He trusted all the promises, following his example, walking his way in his manner means trusting the promises of God. The Lord Jesus relied completely on the word of God. Following Christ means relying completely on the word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed his Father's will perfectly, fulfilling the law at every point, fulfilling all righteousness on our behalf. And that's also a part of it as we're seeing here. And the Lord Jesus Christ also believed all of the doctrines of the Word. And he taught them as well, of course. In fact, all of the Word, the whole Bible, is the Word of Christ. So every doctrine in the Bible, no matter how important or otherwise we may think it is, every single doctrine comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he believed them all, of course, obviously. And he acted on them. And I say this because sometimes we make our distinctions between primary doctrines, fundamentals and so on and then you have the other stuff. But never think that the other stuff is unimportant. It is the word, the doctrine of Christ. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ said that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So if we start playing down the secondary things and saying, oh, they don't matter, forget that, then we're actually speaking against Christ at that point. Imitating all of this, uh, walking in the same manner as Christ, clearly is a very tall order. More than that, it's an impossible thing for us in this life as sinners. But we can make a small start in it, with God's help. And when you make a small start in it, that is an indicator that you truly know the Lord. Because it is an indicator, no matter how small, if that effort is made and that walk is beginning, it is an indication that you want to be like him as much as you can. It is an indication that you want to be like him because you love him. And it is an indication that you want to be like him because you fear God from the heart. Of course, the primary evidence of true faith is the Holy Spirit's testimony within us, assuring us that we are sons and daughters of God, so that we cry out, Abba, Father. That's the first line of evidence that one is a, a true believer, that you really do know God. That's the primary evidence. But from that, from that work of the Holy Spirit, flow the good works and the good fruits that provide the second line of evidence our walk before the Lord because the Holy Spirit always produces good fruit within the believers life he always produces a good walk and a good imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ you can't have one evidence of true faith without the other the Holy Spirit's inner testimony always goes with the fruits of a sanctified life wrought by the same Holy Spirit as he applies Christ's work to us. Now what I've said should be enough to demonstrate that this test of obedience which talks about commandments is not legalistic. It's legal, it has a legal aspect but it's not legalistic. But there's further evidence of that in that this passage shows us that our obedience It's not the cause of our salvation, it is the fruit or the effect of it, an inevitable effect of the gift of salvation. Our third and final point, an effect, not a cause. Note the wording in verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So this is a present act our ongoing effort to keep God's commandments with his help as an ongoing feature of our life, but it demonstrates something that has already been established in the past, a relationship with God that we have come to know him and that is why we keep on striving to obey his commandments, a past relationship that has come by the grace of God. Our obedience is an effect of knowing God not the ground of our salvation. Moreover, verse 5 says, if we keep his word, the love of God has truly been perfected in us. That uh, translation, perfected, uh, often gives rise to some confusion because uh, sometimes people think, well, I'm not perfect in this life. How can anyone in this life be morally perfect? But uh, the, it isn't talking about that kind of perfection in that sense. Uh, somebody has put it this way that uh, it's not saying that we become morally perfect rather that the love of God by grace and this is the fundamental meaning of the word the love of God reaches its goal the love of God reaches its goal in us the goal that we become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ and remain or abide in him The love of God comes first. Our walk in the manner of Christ is the fruit of that. Perhaps you noticed in reading 1 John 2 that the first two verses, what the first two verses said, I've been preaching on that, but we read it. And uh, it really also continues some of the things that were said in chapter 1. And what I want to draw attention to is this, that before John talks about keeping the commandments of God, first he reminds us that Jesus Christ is our advocate. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Uh, Propitiation means that in Christ the wrath of God is set aside. The wrath of God that would justly fall upon us because of our sins. Appeased is another word. You could say the wrath of God is appeased by the Lord Jesus Christ who makes peace between God and man, the propitiation for our sins. And this is why we can be so sure that our sins are forgiven. Not because we are so good at imitating Christ, for we are not. But we can be sure because of Christ himself. This is very important for another reason it is because of this truth expressed in those first two verses, it's because of that, that we are so grateful to God. So grateful for what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Remember, the best type of imitation is the type where you deliberately seek to imitate someone because you really look up to them and you really love them and you're really thankful that you know them. Well, the Lord's Supper reminds us very much of those truths that John has in those first two verses and also in chapter 1. That Christ is our advocate and that he is the propitiation for our sins. And this is a reminder as to why we should be more grateful for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done than we are grateful to any other person in this life or any other thing in this life. And being reminded of that, these truths and what we see also in the Lord's Supper, these are a reminder of why walking in his manner ought to be our top priority. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are transforming us into the likeness of Christ. Will you cause us to be active in seeking that transformation with your help, and that we would do so by studying your word with its doctrines, with its promises, with its commandments, meditating on what that word tells us of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then from gratitude, seeking to imitate his character, his obedience, and his perseverance. We ask it in his name. Amen.